Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 23 on how the primary purpose of the Bible is to help us in our walk as believers. So when we read accounts of Abraham and God, we too will want to untie our ropes of our life that are keeping us tied to this earth. Now, Tom Cantor's written a powerful book that details the 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a book that will show you scriptures comparatively from the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament fulfillment. Now, over 500 scriptures are denoted in this book from Tom Cantor called Prophecies and Fulfillments. It's an amazing study that shows how Jesus of Nazareth was not just a historic figure, but the fulfillment of God's foretold plan to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike. It's a must-have for any Christian at Christmas time, and it's a great gift to give any Jewish person for Hanukkah or who may be searching for the truth and evidence in the scriptures of who the Messiah really is. Now, you can order this book from Tom Cantor called Prophecy and Fulfillment for a donation of $20 or more by calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. With your donation of $20 or more, get the Tom Cantor Prophecy and Fulfillment book, and it supports this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God and Jewish Evangelism through Israel Restoration Ministries. So again, call us for this book at 800 247 3051. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 23 from the life of Abraham. Sarah was very beautiful. Rebecca was very beautiful. And, but, and Isaac and Rebecca, they made a great team. They had a lot in common, about the, probably about the same age. Rebecca's father was Bethuel. Bethuel means man of God. And Abraham says, well, that's a coincidence. I mean, Isaac could say, that's a coincidence. My father Abraham was a man of God. And then Rebecca could tell Isaac, you know, boy, I got a brother you won't believe, Laban. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, did he give me a hard time when we played together. And Isaac would say, well, that's a coincidence. I have a brother called Ishmael. <laughs> he also gave me a hard time. You know? And Rebecca and Isaac, they were in love with each other. Great love in, in, in the Bible. And, and Isaac was rare in that he never had another wife or a concubine. He was just like the dove, solely devoted to Rebecca. So why do we have this short genealogy here at the end of, of uh, Genesis 22? It's to show us the goodness of God in that he will give Rebekah to Isaac to be his wife. That's the goodness of God. That's the same God who said in the beginning of our book in in, uh, Genesis 1.29, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed and and that which is upon the face of the earth and every tree and that which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And then in Genesis 9.3, to Noah, he says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herbs have I given you all things. It's all about giving. God gives and gives and gives. And so he's going to give Rebekah to be a wife for Isaac. And so the purpose of this short genealogy here is to show at the end of this chapter that Isaac, having been saved from death and promised to carry on the seed of the Messiah here to bless the world, but where's the wife for Isaac going to come from? So at the end of this chapter, news comes to Abraham that his, that his brother has a little granddaughter, and she's been born, and her name is Rebekah, and the news comes all the way from Syria, the little girl, and that's the wife that God has chosen for Isaac. So including this short genealogy shows how God was already working to provide a wife for Isaac all the way back there in Syria. And man wrongly thinks that God helps those who help themselves. 
In life, that's not the way it is. Man finds what God has put in his path. That's the way it is. And this little genealogy detail is put to show us how God takes care of us even before we ask, as it says in Isaiah 65, 24. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Now, this is important for us because it brings about a a little point. And that is, what is the purpose of the Bible? Now, here we have a short genealogy. And, and the Bible contains genealogies, but the Bible is not primarily a book of genealogy. I mean, the Bible contains science, but the Bible is not primarily a science book. The Bible contains history, but the Bible is not primarily a history book. The Bible contains biographies, but the Bible is not primarily a book of biographies. So if the Bible is not a primarily a book of genealogies or, or a science book or history or biographies, what is the purpose of the Bible? The purpose of the Bible is clearly stated in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The primary purpose of the Bible is for us. It's to give us the doctrine to show us what's right, what's wrong. It, the primary purpose of the Bible is to reprove us and to show us when we are personally wrong. The primary purpose of the Bible is to show us how to correct our ways when we go wrong, how to get right again. The primary purpose of the Bible is to instruct us in how to live a righteous life to keep us from going wrong. So the primary purpose of the Bible is to help us in our walk as believers. And when we read accounts about Abraham, and God wanting to untie his stern line to earth, the purpose is for us to look at ourselves and ask the question, what stern lines do we have that we need to untie? And when we read the Bible, there's a repetition of certain words and phrases, and that's God saying, I I, I think you might have missed it the first time, so I'm going to say it again. That's what's happening. Because he wants to direct us to what is the point of this history. So now, we come to see in, 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 in verse 1, uh, just how old Sarah was. It says Sarah was 107 and 20 years old, and these were the, life, the years of the life of Sarah. So we see from this verse in Genesis 23:1 that Sarah was 120, 27 years old. I don't know if Sarah appreciated having her age publicized in the Bible, <laughs> but when we come to this verse, it says that that's how old she was when she died. By the way, Sarah is the only woman in the Bible whose age is stated when she died. So she can be happy for that. And um, so now we want to have, since it's about the death of Sarah, a little memorial service for Sarah. She's 107, 127 years old. Seems like a long time, doesn't it? But you, you and I can easily count to 127. It's, it's, it's in case you're interested, it's 46,355 days. And then what? She died. And, and the average life here expectancy in the U.S. is 79.8 years. It's 29,172 days. And, and then what? 29,172 days. Then what? It dies. And so what are the 29,172 days? So the Lord lived 33 years, almost 12,000 days, let's say, 12,000 days. 12,000 days. And then what? Then you die. And so what are these times? What were the 46,355 days of Sarah? What are the 29,172 days average life in the U.S.? What is the 12,000 days of the Lord Jesus Christ we lived on earth? 
Days of opportunity. That's what they are. Days of opportunity. Opportunity for what? To be a child of Abraham. Opportunity to believe God like Abraham did. Opportunity to trust God like Abraham did. Opportunity to be a friend of God like Abraham was. I mean, someday we're going to die and those opportunities will be over. And as Pastor Jim used to say, there'll be a silence when we hear our name called and give an account. But Sarah took advantage of the opportunity in her life to be an example of what the Bible calls an example of holy women who lived in submission to their husbands. Peter has the best memorial statement for Sarah, where in 1 Peter 3, 5 through 6, she says, For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted God, adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazements. Any amazement. Well, it could be amazements. A lot of things to be amazed at. But anyway, so, so the point is, Sarah, holy woman. Sarah, trusted in God. Sarah, in subjection to her own husband. Sarah, obeyed Abraham. Sarah, not afraid with any amazement. That was Sarah. That was also Cheryl. She was not afraid with any amazement. In the 1970s, when we started a goat antibody business, and we moved into a house on a dirt road that was essentially mud everywhere. She was not afraid with any amazements. Way overcrowded. Don, you remember. Got way overcrowded with over 300 goats on less than half an acre. <laughs> way below the Department of Agricultural Standards. <laughs> baby goats in our living room, trying to keep them alive. The other baby goats we didn't take into our living room, dying in the mud. Cheryl, six months pregnant with Joshua, in the rain, soaking wet, no shelter, drawing blood from goats, and reading goat journals, trying to figure out why the goats are dying. And Joshua crying to leave the mud and go back to the city. And David wanting to know if that last meal counted as dinner or lunch. He didn't want to be cheated, you know. And Cheryl was like Sarah, and that she was not afraid with any, any amazement. Am I to follow Tom? Not afraid with any amazement. Imagine the day when Abraham circumcised all the men sight never seen before, and himself. Imagine that day when Sarah Sarah looked out of her tent and saw that sight and said, what in the world is Abraham doing? Am I to follow Abraham? Sarah was not afraid with any amazement. Or when Abraham returned from Mount Moriah, where we are now, and explained to her what happened to their only son. And what does she do? She says, what in the world was Abraham doing on Mount Moriah? Am I to follow Abraham? Sarah was not afraid with any amazement. Imagine the time when Sarah said to, when Abraham said to Sarah, you tell everyone that you're my sister, even though it means that you'll be taken into Pharaoh's harem. Sarah, am I to follow Abraham? Sarah was not afraid with any amazement. Imagine the second time, as if you didn't learn, when Abraham said to Sarah, you tell everyone again that you're my sister, even if it means being taken into Abimelech's harem. Am I to follow Abraham? Sarah was not afraid with any amazement. How did Sarah do it? How did Cheryl do it? Cheryl followed Sarah's example. How did Sarah do it? Sarah did it by being holy and trusting in God. Holy women 
also who trusted in God, 1 Peter 3.5. Sarah did it by trusting God, by trusting in God who was great enough to take care of her even when she knew that Abraham was dead wrong in what he was asking Sarah to do. In other words, Sarah saw beyond Abraham to the God of Sarah, the God of Abraham, who was saying, you obey your husband and I'll take care of you. And she died that way. And that's her memorial. Wonderful memorial. And Sarah died in Canaan. That was the land of promise. But that was all, all, but she died there in Canaan. And she looks over this land of Canaan and she sees the land and she says, the land of Canaan is held and is controlled by these ungodly people. But she thought to herself, this is the land that God promised. She lived there for 60 years, a little over 60 years. I'll return to this land and this land will be mine, as Jehovah Jesus said in Matthew 3, 5, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. She was 127 years old when she died. She was 127 years old when she died. We remember about 40 years before, when she was 87, in Genesis 18, 12, when she commented about her life, and she said, therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed old... Shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? So when she's 87 years old, she's thinking, I'm very old. What did she think when she's 127 years old? (laughs) 40 years later. (laughs) But we read that she died in verse 2. Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And so this chapter opens with the death of Sarah. And this chapter we'll see for the first time in the Bible, mourning for the dead. We'll see the first time in the Bible, burial for the dead. We'll see the first time in the Bible, purchase of property for burial. And Abraham and Sarah had lived through together through many, many years. They'd gone through a lot of trials, a lot of blessings. It seemed throughout their long marriage there, nothing could separate them. Nothing could part them, except for one thing, death. And death parts those that nothing else has parted throughout their lives. And God's favorites, like Sarah, they're not exempted from death. Sarah was one of God's favorites. And she had to also feel the stroke of death. And now Abraham had to part with Sarah, who had shared all of his trials and all of his hopes and all of his blessings in life. And in this chapter, we see how Abraham parted with Sarah in heart and in soul. He never had to part with God, and we might lose a loved one, but we'll never have to part with God. I could from all things parted be, but never, never, Lord, from thee. And so we're, t- we're told she, she dies here after about 60 years in Canaan. And she died, evidently, when, when uh, Abraham was out with the flocks. And we can imagine the runner who came and told Abraham, Sarah died. And then it says that Abraham came, in verse 2, to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. He came to mourn for Sarah. We can picture Abraham coming into the tent. He's sitting there by the corpse. He's looking at her dead body. Like it says in Lamentations 3.51, mine eye affects my heart. And so he sees the dead corpse of Sarah, and his heart is going out. And we... And we and, and, and he sits there and he remembers Sarah, and Sarah's gone. He just cries and cries. And there are many mixed feelings we have when a loved one dies. We'll return with Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program here and our Bible study in just a moment. Now, if you're enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching on Friendship with God as you're driving, listening at home, or downloading and listening to these messages on the go, we would like to encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program so we can continue broadcasting on radio stations as well as providing free listening and free download 
through our websites at friendshipwithgod.org, iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast, and through sermonaudio.com. So please support the Friendship with God radio program by donating today. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Again, you can call us now or after the program, but support this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God, 800-247-3051. Support us online at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and supporting Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. I remember when Mike Johnson spoke about at uh, Faye's funeral, his sister Faye's funeral, and how he said when he came into the house after she had died, the feeling of anger came because he was angry that death took Faye. And there, then there's the feeling of sorrow from the loss. And, we, and this, uh, in Abraham, verse 2, he came to mourn for Sarah, to weep for her. It was a shock for Abraham because in his lifetime he had encountered many trials, but he, not the trial of death. And now death has entered into Sarah, to Abraham's camp. It's claimed his own wife, and Abraham's sad, and there's a feeling of helplessness as he's there. He's a, all man could do medically couldn't stop the death. And I remember reading recently about a person who got lymphoma, and he defiantly said, lymphoma picked the wrong guy to mess with. Well, you can say that, and that's nice, tough words, but when death arrives, you're absolutely helpless. And there's the feeling of helplessness against the foe that takes a loved one away. And, 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 and this adds to the mourning and the grieving and the sorrow. But then we read in verse 3, Abraham stood up before his dead and spake unto the, words of, uh, spake unto the sons of Heth, saying... So when it says that Abraham stood up before his dead, we see that there was a limit to Abraham's mourning. Abraham would not be, would not be caught in a lifelong state of mourning for Sarah. Sarah was in heaven. Abraham would join her later in heaven after he finished out his days. And the words that he stood up before his dead there, it shows there was a limit to his mourning. There's a limit to our mourning and sorrow. And that limit was what Paul was speaking about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14, where he says, I would not have you ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with them. The believer, see, mourning and sorrow over the death of another believer, it's like a big wave that hits the shore. And as the wave builds, it looks scary. And it builds up and it crashes with a great roar. But it only goes so far. And then it retreats. And that retreat of the waves comes when, when Igris is displaced by knowledge of the Word of God. And at that retreat, then, is when you realize hope of the resurrection. Hope of the Lord Jesus Christ's promise of heaven. King Solomon, as we said in Proverbs 14.32, the righteous hath hope in his death. So the believer, there is a sorrow of death, the loved one, but that sorrow is limited by hope. After the wave breaks on the shore, it only goes so far, and then it retreats. And hope stands on the shore and says, stop to the wave. This far, no further. And for the lost, Paul calls this, that sorrow different. He says, it's not that way. There's a sorrow with no hope. For the, la- for the lost, there's no hope standing on the, on the shore and holding out his hand and saying, stop this far and no further. For the lost, their sorrow and mourning is like a tsunami that builds up like a wave. And the difference is with, with no hope is that when the wave breaks with the tsunami, there's no limit. It just keeps on going. It keeps on going and it, it engulfs. And we all remember the videos of the Indonesia and the Japanese tsunami waves as they started out as they got a big wave and then they crashed, but to our surprise, wait a minute, the wave's supposed to stop there. It didn't stop, it just kept on going. That's sorrow with no hope. 
There's no hope standing on the shore saying, stop, this far, no further. You know, that's John Lennon. John Lennon, he sings this song. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell beneath us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. That's no hope. What he's really singing is this. Imagine dying hopeless. It's easy if you try. Only hell to greet us and our eternal cry. Imagine all the people swept away in despair. That's the message. That's the message. Now, since Abraham is a believer with hope of Sarah as a believer, there was hope standing on the shore and holding out his hand, saying, this far, no further. And Abraham stood up, and that's what it means there in verse 3. He stood up and, and he, and before his dead. And so it was easy for Abraham. It was easy, it was, it was easy for Abraham because God had stopped it. But in a sense... It was also not so easy for Abraham, and it's not easy for a, a believer even to deal with the death of, a, of another believer because it's an exhausting struggle. It's like treading water in a rip current. And you, it's, a, it's exhausting because, because the rip current is wanting to pull you down into the darkness of no hope and despair, and, and, you, tread, and you tread water with the Bible knowledge of 2 Corinthians 5.8 to be absent from the body of present with the Lord, and these verses in First Thessalonians four fourteen, even them so even so them that sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. But no hope rip currents are trying to pull us down with the first Thessalonians four thirteen, others which have no hope. After all, Sarah herself was all right and happy with God. It was just sad to see what she's suffering, she had to go through and be left without her. But sooner or later, we all will see and experience the march and the power of death overcome a loved believer like Abraham saw with Sarah. We all have loved friends who, who we never think of was going to die. You know, as I was preparing this lesson, I was reading my notes from when I last taught this passage here at the chapel, standing right here in this place. I think I stood there, actually, because it doesn't matter. On February 20th, 1983. Uh, see, I have to wait about 31 years to teach the same passage to give you time to forget what I said. See? which means that I'll teach this again when I'm 93. <laughs> anyway, on February 20th, 1983, I stood in that spot there and I said, two weeks ago, Pastor Jim celebrated his 59th birthday. How would we deal with his death? It's interesting. How should we be prepared for the death of a loved one? How? It's interesting to see how Jacob prepared his favorite son, Joseph, for his death. Jacob knew that Jacob... Uh, Jacob knew that Joseph had a tender heart. He did. And Jacob wanted to prepare Joseph for Jacob's death. So we read how he prepared him. It says in Genesis 47, 29, the time drew nigh that Israel, as Jacob, that Israel must die. He called his son Joseph. And then we read later in Genesis 48, 21, Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. See, Jacob knew that Joseph would be very sad. He would feel the loss of Jacob, leaving Joseph, and Jacob wanted to best prepare Joseph for Jacob, Jacob's death. So he said the best words that he could say to Joseph when he said, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you. In essence, he was saying to Joseph, Jacob was saying to Joseph, Behold, I die, but God is not going to die. Behold, I'm leaving you, but God is not leaving you. Behold, I'll be separated from you, but God will not be separated from you. 
That's the best thing that Jacob could have told Joseph when he said that in Genesis 48, 21. Behold, I die, but God shall be with you. In other words, Israel or Jacob was saying, I will leave you, but God's not going to leave you. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said in Matthew 28, 20, when he said, Lo, I am with you always. Another wonderful Bible study from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. And if you're enjoying this Bible teaching, Old Testament teaching radio program, we want to encourage you to support it with a donation, one time, online at friendshipwithgod.org. But if you'd like to be one of our monthly supporters, you can call us at 800-247-3051. You can also call us with a one-time donation as well, too. But call us directly at 800-247-3051. And for any donation of $100 or more, we will send you Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's over 2,200 pages with over 600 pages of Bible helps. has a genuine lambskin leather cover and gold lettering. It's got over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It has over 20 full-color custom maps and timelines. It's got a full 1,500-word Bible concordance. It's got the most popular Bible scriptures to study and memorize section. It's got a prophecy and fulfillment section, names of the Messiah section, the life of Joseph study section, and so many other amazing Bible helps. It's yours for a donation of $100. We'll be shipping this in January. You can pre-order it. For a donation of $100 or more, we'll send it to you. Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God Study Bible. Call us, 800-247-3051-800-247-3051-800-247-3051. Or go online to friendshipwithgod.org or call us, 800-247-3051.